Amen. Thank you, Erica. Great thought. Great song. Aren't you glad that Jesus is our intercessor? And if you are saved, that Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, intercedes for you and I. He is our advocate. Amen. Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. It is a crazy season of just crud going around, and uh, I pray I won't have to stop because of sinus problems, but if I do, just pray for me. I'm not really sick. Um, some of you can relate to having allergies where um, for weeks at a time, your nose is just constantly running away, and uh, I'm in that season, and so uh, that's no good excuse to not preach God's Word. Uh, most of you know that um, the messages I preach, uh, I, all pastors do this differently, but I tend to prepare long series of messages and pray over them and the order that they're in, and so that whenever you come to Bible Baptist Church, what you heard uh, was, for the most part, planned at least weeks and oftentimes months in advance. I never want anyone to ever be able to look at me and say, well, you saw me there and said that, or you saw me and picked that thought. Uh, listen, if I ever preach anything that applies to you, mark it down. It's God's Spirit reaching out to you. And if I have anything to say to you personally, I'll find you personally and speak to you. Uh, two weeks ago, we started a new Sunday morning series on great truths communicated with simple words. Profound things are, of course, uh, only understood when they're communicated through the vehicle of simplicity. When complex things are communicated to us with difficult words, they are often misunderstood or even not understood at all. And so God makes sure that the things that are most important to Him are communicated simply, and He also very often repeats them uh, multiple times to make sure we understand that something is important to our Creator. I have a list of 221 verses in our King James Bible where every, verse, every word in that verse has only one syllable. Uh, communication in simple words. In fact, there is a list of 916 verses in our Bible where every word other than a number or a name is a one-syllable word. And since there are 31,102 verses in our Bible, what that basically means is just under 30% of our Bible is communicated to us literally with one-syllable words. I personally believe if you are someone that has difficulty understanding the Bible, I believe it is A, a lack of effort on your part, B, a lack of understanding of our own language, or see a failure to yield to the Spirit of God that inspired holy men of God to write and preserve His words for us over the centuries. He is our teacher. In fact, to our shame, previous generations, who we pretty much universally consider to be less educated than we are, understood this book just fine. Now, after seeing that list, I felt God move my heart to put together a series of messages of great truths God communicated to us in simple words. Last week, we talked about God making Himself available to be found to anyone who seeks Him with all their heart and all their soul. 
Uh, we made sure we understood that God is only found where He is available. God is not inside every person, and so we don't look in ourselves to find God. God is not in nature, though He is nature's Creator. Nature warps the image of our Creator, and though creation bears witness to God's existence and God's power, you can't know God through creation. We talked about finding God in the preaching of Christ and His Word. We talked about finding God in the lives and the light of faithful disciples. We talked about finding God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, God manifest in flesh. And we rejoiced that God is not hiding nor making Himself difficult to find and that anyone who looks in the right place with the right heart will find God and truth. Today I want to pause and consider another great truth communicated in the simplest words from the mouth of the Savior Himself. And as we read these words, I think one of the things that will strike us is that these simple words are actually the exact opposite of what the average American thinks Jesus has to say. Every sensible human being wants peace. They hope for peace. They do what they can to seek peace, bring peace. But sadly, some human beings are not sensible. They seem to love conflict and division, and so they consequently bring it wherever they are. I remember years ago doing some marital counseling for a couple, and that one of those people involved, they liked conflict and division in the home. They felt like things were a little boring around the home if there wasn't some undercurrent. That's not sensible. But some people are not sensible. They live as if there is no God who will hold them accountable someday in judgment, and they consequently wage war on everyone and everything from whom they think they can take something. I mean, Germany didn't invade and wage war on two fronts during World War II because it was sensible. Adolf Hitler didn't value human life or peace. He sought to take what he could from Russia and France and Poland and England and other surrounding countries. Russia didn't recently invade Ukraine because it was a sensible thing to do. A Putin didn't value life or peace when he sent his troops into Ukraine to take what he could from the Ukrainian people. And people who have created an idol they call Jesus, instead of embracing Jesus Christ the way He has revealed Himself to us, would be absolutely shocked if they actually read what Jesus said to us in the most simple terms. If you are able to stand this morning, stand please in honor of the Word of God. The title of my thought this morning is The Peace Jesus Did Not Bring. The Peace Jesus Did Not Bring. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus here says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, 
That doesn't take much. Verse 36, And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Thank you, might be seated. Some of the kindest and most loving and heartwarming things that have ever come from the lips of a person came from the mouth of Jesus. To the crowd, He said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not die but have everlasting life. To His disciples, He said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. To the crowd, He said, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. To His disciples, He said, Greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for, my fri- for his friends. Ye are My friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. I think it impossible for you and I to simply read those words from the inspired, preserved pages of God's Word and fully grasp what it meant to actually hear them from the lips of Jesus Himself. One might only imagine His tone, His facial expression, what it was like to look in His eyes when He spoke those words. And when you look into someone's eyes when they're speaking to you, you know a lot about the depth of what they're saying. It's no surprise that when people heard, them, heard Jesus, they walked away and said, no man ever spake like that man. You see, those who believed felt loved. Those who had an argument with Him left without a leg to stand on. Those who hated Him because of Him speaking truth could, no find, could find no fault in Him at all. We gravitate to Christ's warmth, to His compassion, to the interest He had in people of all sorts, both down and out, as well as up and in. And hear me when I say being drawn to Christ for those things isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing. He's a loving and compassionate Savior. But it is not a good thing if we, for whatever reason, fall fail also to recognize that there was and is more to Jesus than that. The context for Matthew chapter 10 is Christ sending His 12 apostles out after calling them into ministry two by two. And Matthew chapter 10 by and large is His preparatory message to them as He sends them. In Matthew 10, 5, it says these 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and in any city of the Samaritans, enter you not. We go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of God is, of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. And he goes on through Matthew 10 to prepare them for their ministry and to instruct them in what He wanted them to do and to be ready for what would doubtless come their way. And though Jesus was loving, He expected His disciples to be willing to tell others that they belong to Him. We read that verse 32 and 33. Whosoever therefore shall confess Me before men, 
him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Listen, he made it clear, but I'm sure they failed at times. Just like everyone here, including myself. Listen, I, I, if you've figured out a way to always speak up for the Lord uh, and always walk away and feel like, you know what, I, I said what I should have said as the Lord's representative. I would like to know what your secret. Tell me after church. I will try it. And if it works for me, I'll tell everyone. I'm sure they failed, but that was his desire. And though Jesus is warm, he understood that his disciples following him and who stood up for him with people of all sorts and cultures of all sorts would be in conflict with them. In fact, in the most simple terms possible, in one-syllable words, Jesus made sure his disciples understood that he did not come to bring external peace. In verse 34, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. The sword he brought was not made with metal, but rather a division of the philosophy of life, a division over priorities. The sword he brought was not forged in the fire. It's a division of morality, a division over who Jesus was and is. The sword he brought would not unite nations. In fact, it would not even unite family and friends. Verses 35 and 36, he says, For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. You see, the sword Jesus brought was not taken to earthly battlefields or the kind of sword a disciple might brandish in self-defense. Christ's message was not always going to be easy in a difficult world, but He made sure His disciples understood that though it might not always make things easy, it would always make life meaningful and eternity brighter and better. Verses 38 and 39, He that taketh not His cross and followeth after Me is not worthy of Me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. By the way, I hope you understand there, he's not talking about dying. He's talking about the way we live. He's talking about changing your life from being about you and about your priorities and about what you want to do and what you can, how you can maximize your house size and maximize your car size and maximize your vacation. He's not talking about that. He's saying you give up what most of the world defines as life and you do and say and be what I've asked you to be and you will, though you lose your life, you will find your life. I don't know how the 12 responded. This was literally the first thing that he had given them to do after calling them. We're not told. I would imagine hearing stuff like this shook them up some. I mean, think about it. This was not late 
in the ministry of Jesus when the battle lines had been drawn, so to speak. This was early in his ministry when it was not yet, you know, taboo to be his disciple. They had likely not yet started kicking people out of the synagogues for confessing that Jesus was a Christ. He was not yet at complete conflict with the leaders of the Jews. Uh, They were still checking him out and listening to what he had to say and watching what he did and trying to figure out who he was. And this would have likely taken them back. Now there are some aspects of the Lord Jesus Christ and following Him that I find easy to follow and believe and do. And there are other aspects I find more difficult. But whether I find things easy or difficult or whether I like them or not, it doesn't matter. Jesus is who He is and His message is what it is. And no one has the right to set aside His loving warmth any more than they have the right to ignore the sort of division that He said He would bring. I personally, I wish and want the message of the Lord Jesus to unite nations, unite cultures, and unite families. But it will not. In fact, in the simplest terms, so that no one would ever be able to walk away and say, Jesus, this was too complicated. I don't understand what you were getting about, talking about. In verse 34, in the simplest terms, he made sure we understood that when he came the first time as a babe from the manger of Bethlehem, he did not come to bring or send external peace. Verse 34, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Now speaking about this may actually even shock some here this morning. You have an idea about Jesus, who He is, and what He said, and what He would do if He were here today. And let me just say to you, Jesus would be just as big of a divider today in America as He was amongst the Jews when He yet lived. He couldn't be clearer about Him not being the source of world peace or unity. When He came the first time, He did not come to bring those things. He came to die for our sins and rise from the dead to open a door of salvation by grace through faith for all who would believe. What I'd like to do this morning is talk for a little while, make some observations and applications of Jesus coming to bring division rather than peace. Here's number one. The Jesus who is a unifying force in society and among the world religions is an idol. I-D-O-L. Not the real Jesus. By the way, we know that from the simple, clear statement of verse 34 that we have now read three times. We also know that because his gospel was literally at odds with every religion from the day it was first preached. Listen, the gospel created division in Judaism. Was Jesus of Nazareth the Christ or was he not? Is salvation by keeping the law of Moses or is it by faith in Christ? The gospel created division in the families of the Jews. Is Jesus of Nazareth, is he the Christ 
or is he not? The gospel created division in every culture into which the apostles and early Christians took it. Have you ever stopped to think, you and I live in a society that basically says any sincerely held belief is as good as the next one. And anyone who sincerely practices whatever religion they practice is just fine that they're all equal. Do you understand that the world into which Jesus came and the world into which he sent his apostles was a religious world? Listen, sincerely following the religion of Zeus or Aphrodite was in complete contrast to following Jesus of Nazareth as the Son of God and faith in Him being the way to eternal life. Have you ever thought about this? There would have been no reason for Jesus to come or send His apostles into the world if any sincerely held belief actually gave someone eternal life. fact is, Jesus is the only Savior. He is the only way to the Father. He is the only way to have our sins forgiven. And every other way that someone claims to be a way to find forgiveness is false. That kind of New Testament thinking divides people rather than uniting them. How does it unite people when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That doesn't unite anybody but people who believe that. Listen, every sensible person wants peace. But the person and message of Jesus doesn't unite the world. It divides the world into those who are saved and those who are lost. It divides the world into those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and those who do not. It divides the world into those who will go to heaven when they, go to, when they die and those who will go to hell when they die. Please hear me when I say I believe that every person in this room or within the sound of my voice ought to seek peace and pursue it. But there is no external peace brought by looking at the life and message of Jesus if we look at it like He taught us to do so. Our message... Just like the message in the days of the apostle divided people, and it does the same today. Again, please hear me. I believe every human being ought to be free to believe whatever they want to believe. They ought to be able to be free to say whatever they want to say, regardless of how it may contradict anything I've said to you this morning. And if you think, because you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that other people and voices should be silenced, you don't understand the freedom God gave mankind, nor the freedom our forefathers purchased with blood for our country. But I also believe only Jesus saves. Which gets us to the second thing. Please go in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. observations and applications, what Jesus had to say about Him bringing peace. The Jesus who is a unifying force in society and the world religions is an idol. Here's number two. There are way too many unnecessary divisions in culture and among those who call themselves Christian. Notice as Paul, as the Spirit moves him, directs, the message to the believers in the 
church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1.10, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Do you see his criticisms of the divisions there in the church? They had basically picked the personality of a leader that they liked the best and said, well, I follow Paul. No, I follow Cephas. I follow Apollos. And then there were some who were spiritually hot. He said, well, I follow Christ. People haven't changed. You see, our country is too divided because politicians and social influencers demonize and treat those who differ from them. They treat them like they're an enemy. Hear me when I say this morning, those who differ from us on social issues and political issues, by and large, are not our, our enemies. And there needs to be more civil di discussion amongst those who disagree, not less. Can I tell you where that starts? That starts with you and I, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, being confident enough in what we believe and what we take as a position on issues to be able to have a civil discussion with someone. And if you're somebody here this morning who thinks everyone who's different from you should just shut up, or that your wick is so short that when someone disagrees with you, you explode. Listen, you, you need to talk to the Lord about that. The church in Corinth was more divided than it should have been over the personalities of spiritual leaders, and that's why in chapter 3, Paul describes them as being carnal. Now, I'm not implying that amongst what is called Christianity, there are not some divisions that should be there over key doctrinal issues. I'm just saying this, there's more division in Christianity than there needs to be, and I believe some of it displeases the Lord. I'm not trying to solve or even discuss those divisions this morning. I'm just simply saying to you, there are too many divisions. Jesus did not come to bring peace in our world, but He also did not come to have mankind and believers divide over every small thing. Which gets us to our third thing. Please go in your Bible to Revelation chapter 19. I said that Jesus who people say came to bring world peace, is an idol. I-D-O-L. It's like Baal. I said, secondly, there are too many divisions, both in our world and in what's called Christianity. Here's the third thing. Number three, Jesus will bring external peace when He returns in power and glory. What we're going to read now is an account of what the scene will be at the end of the seven-year tribulation after the Antichrist and the false prophet have gathered the armies of the world and people who were loyal to them in the Megiddo Valley, they will be all gathered there to fight against the Lord and against His Christ. And when they do so, notice 
What's going to happen in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11 says, And I saw heaven opened. Behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. By the way, before we go on, the days of the gentle, meek expression of that aspect of the character of our Savior will be shut down at this moment. At this moment, He will be manifesting other aspects of who He is and always has been. Verse 12, His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on His head were many crowns, and He had a name written that no man knew but He Himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and His name is called the Word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And I've got this phrase underlined, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth out the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Though there is no lasting external peace today because Christ did not come to bring that, there is a day coming when He will bring external peace to our world. Listen, Satan and man's fallen nature will never allow there to be any external peace that lasts. The only kind of external peace that lasts is peace that is brought with truth as its foundation and sufficient force by some person with authority to keep the peace. And that's why it says in verse 15, He shall rule them with a rod of iron. What will it take for the world to actually have external peace? It will take the Lord Jesus returning in power and glory, who with justice and judgment and with a rod of iron will rule and reign from the city of Jerusalem over the entire world. That's what it will take for world peace. Now listen, I am for all the peace we can negotiate in the meantime. But we need to understand that all man-made peace will by nature be temporary and last only as long as there is truth and sufficient force to keep the peace. Jesus Christ will bring peace, but it will not be brought by the gospel. It will not be brought by mankind getting better or better educated. It will be not brought about by any churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ Himself will bring external peace, but that day is not today. And the source of that peace is not the gospel. Which gets us to our third thing. Number four, please go back in your Bible to John chapter 4. So, Brother Wally, why do you make us turn in the Bible all the time? Because we're a Bible-believing church. And I have no issue with people who don't make you turn in the Bible as long as they're preaching the Bible, but I, I like you to turn in your Bible. I like you to bring your Bible. I, I like you to follow along. I like you checking out what I have to say. Make sure it's actually in there. Number four, Jesus Christ and true salvation are the only sources of internal peace. John 14, 27, on his last night speaking to his disciples, he said these words, peace I leave with you. And I've got this underlined, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Did you hear that? Jesus gives his peace to his disciples. 
And if we have a troubled heart, it's because we let our heart be troubled, not because a troubled heart is what God wants for the heart of a believer. This morning, regardless of who you are, you can have peace with God. And if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can have peace in your heart. Did you know that there's a difference in peace with God and having the peace of God? I can, I can think of few things that would be better for us and for the world around us than for people to have peace with God and the peace of God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to have peace with God, you must have Christ in your life. You cannot find peace with God by your good works. You cannot find peace with God being a Baptist. You cannot find peace with God getting baptized. You can find peace with God only by faith in Jesus Christ. Have you ever placed your faith in Him? Have you ever been born again? Have you ever come to recognize that you are guilty of breaking the commandments of God? Have you ever come to recognize that God is not just going to pat you on the head and that there's a penalty for your sin and the wages of your sin is death? Have you come to recognize that Christ Jesus loved you, died for your sins on the cross, and rose again from the dead? And He gives this simple invitation to all who would believe, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you have peace with God this morning? And if you have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, let me ask you this. If you're a believer, do you have the peace of God? They're different things. Everyone who genuinely believes they have peace with God, some who have peace with God, they don't live with the peace of God. I can't tell you over the years how many Christian people I've known, and the thing that characterizes their life most is worry. And they don't live with the peace of God in their life. In Philippians chapter 4, it says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, are you living with the peace of God? Listen, you will not go very far in life because the world around us is a broken world and a sinful world. You're not going to go very far before you are thrust into some dark valley of difficulty. I don't care if you're here and you're 12 or you're here today and you're 92, you are going to be thrust into the valley of difficulty and you will either have the peace of God in your life or you will not. And if you don't have it, it's not because Christ doesn't want to give it to you. He said, my peace give I unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. God wants you to have peace. Do you have it? Christ did come to bring peace with God and for people who believe to have the peace of God. He came for that. Do you have it? Which gets us to our last thing. Just turn up a few pages to Acts chapter 2. Though Jesus did not come to bring external peace, 
to the world. He did not come to unify the world. His message, His person, everything He has to say about prioritizing our life, anything He has to say about what it means to be moral and pure, anything He has to say about any social issue is at odds with a world in rebellion against its Creator. But our last thing this morning, number five, Jesus is a great unifier of those who trust Him and who believe what He taught, especially in each of His churches. Now, there's only been one season in history when there was one church. The word church in the Bible means called out assembly. A church is not all believers, despite what some people uh, have to say about that. A church is an assembly of believers, and there's only been one of them for a short season in Jerusalem. And from the time that the apostles and disciples spread out, there have been churches. That's why in the book of Revelation, Jesus used the word church plural 12 times. Churches. But hear me when I say, when we look at that first church, the thing that characterized them was not division. The thing that characterized them was not their inability to get along. The thing that characterized them was they did have not just the peace of God. They lived in one accord. They had peace in their church. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, notice how it describes them. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Turn near the end of the chapter 2. Because in verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Notice how they interacted with one another in verse 46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Notice in Acts chapter 4 in verse 24, after they were persecuted by the Jewish authorities. In Acts 4.24 it says, and when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Notice in Acts chapter 5 and verse 12, and it says, by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Where did they assemble? They assembled in a place called Solomon's porch, which was a part of the Jewish temple at that time. And they were characterized by being in one accord. And though the message of Christ divides the world from those who believe and follow the Lord Jesus, that same message ought to unify us. Paul told believers in the church in Rome, quote, to be with one mind and one mouth glorify God. He told believers in Corinth to, quote, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace. He told believers in Philippi to stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Peter told believers to be all of one mind, having compassion on one another. Listen, though we expect, I didn't say enjoy, I said though we expect division and something other than peace because of our faith in Christ and our adherence to what He's had to say. We expect that in the world and sometimes even with our family and friends. Understand, 
I think we're supposed to expect something different here. Do you realize we're not unified because we have the same background? We're not unified because we have the, are the same age. We're not unified because we have the same type of work. We're not unified because of any, we have the same natural gifts or the same personality qualities. We're not unified for those reasons. That's not what unifies us. We're unified because we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we believe this book to be the words of God. Because we believe that it pays off both in life and eternity to not just know Jesus, but to follow Him with all our heart. That's what we have in common. That's why Jesus says to His disciples a new commandment, I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you. Do you love the people here? Do you realize... That when someone visits the Lord's assembly here, though I believe Christ expects always there to be true doctrine, do you realize that the first thing that should characterize us, people ought to walk in and say, you know what? They love each other. We, we don't have handshaking times here because I'm looking for a super spreader event. We have handshaking times here so that you can leave your spot and put a smile on your face and put your hand out and shake the hand warmly of the people around you because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And it has gone on too long that we have excused good doctrine for bad personal relationships. Of all the people in our world that ought to get along when we work together and we serve together. And listen, it's not easy. If you're in a biblical church, then you're there a lot. If you're in a biblical church, you're joining lives in the nursery with the children, with the teenagers. You're doing things together that give us opportunities to conflict on all sorts of levels. God did that on purpose because that is where it is really measured whether we have affection one for another. I love the song we sang earlier, it's Sunday. I feel bad for those of you who had to be drug here kicking and screaming. I feel bad for those of you who came here just because it's what you do. Listen. Is the way you love the people here something that if someone found, they would say, I want that. It should be. It should be from me to you, from you to me, but it shouldn't stop there. It should be all over this room. Do you know why I came to family night on Friday night? I didn't come because I'm the pastor and it's expected because it's your job. I came because I love to be with the people here. You know why I don't come here at one minute till or two minutes after? It doesn't give me any opportunity to say anything to anybody. Listen, of course God wants us to have good doctrine. But the peace Christ brought is an internal peace with God 
and a peace that we should find when we're assembled. See, Brother Wally, there's so many things that happen. Yeah, I know. But we just go back to a simple thing. I believe in Jesus. I believe God's Word. I believe I'm supposed to love you. We can work through this. Amen? If you quietly stand and bow your heads.